All right, welcome guys to another round of our private practice building series with real life stories. And we have Laura Reagan joining us today. So excited you're here. She is a licensed certified social worker clinical in Maryland. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I want people to know a little bit about you. Um, how long have you been in private practice? I opened up my practice just a little bit under two years ago in May of 2013. And why private practice? I, I think at first I had dreams of fame and fortune or more fortune than nonprofit work. But um, also I think it was the freedom and the control over my own work, my schedule, that was really appealing about private practice. I was lucky to have a, a part-time position that was flexible and paid well to give me the chance to try out doing private practice a little bit on the side at first. And once I got a taste of, you know, doing things that way, I loved it and wanted to expand. So really for you is about having the freedom and actually having some more financial gain. It even sounds like. Yeah. Financial security more so than I could get in private practice or in um, nonprofit work. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, have you always been a therapist or what has been kind of your career path? Well, um, I started out as a, in my working life as a paralegal uh -huh. and um, I really loved our clients' stories, but I couldn't help them with their underlying problems, only their current legal problem. Um, and I didn't even get to interact with them nearly as much as I would have liked. Uh -huh. I was always, you know, wanting to, how's it going? How are you doing? You know, uh -huh. and they're like, do your paperwork. So um, I uh, decided to go back to school when my kids were little and finish my bachelor's when I was 29. And um, that's when I started to finish my bachelor's. Uh-huh. And, um, at that time I needed to find something that was in the social work, human services field to do as an internship or something so that I could have some work experience by the time I graduated. That was good advice that my husband gave me as a psychology, um, undergraduate, mm -hmm. you know, grad. Um, so I found the local YWCA was looking for volunteers, mm -hmm. and I didn't really know what they did there, but it turned out to be the Sexual Assault Crisis Center program um, wanted volunteers for answering their 24-hour hotline and doing hospital accompaniment. And I was a little bit intimidated when I first heard that, but they, they assured me that I would be well-trained and went through this really extensive 40 hour training and, um, started doing that work and I just loved it right away. Mm. So once I was doing that, I knew that this was what I really need to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, working with people, helping them in a crisis situation or, you know, just with pain that they're feeling. Yeah. Yeah, so then I um, slowly finished my bachelor's and got it by the time I was 34, I think. Hey, that's great, being a mom and all that stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It was hard work to do. I worked full-time in the Sexual Assault Crisis Center and got the bachelor's degree. Wow. 
and was a mom and it was a very challenging time. <laughs> wow. But um, yeah. after that, um, we moved to Maryland and I, because that was all in Virginia. Then we moved to Maryland and I started my master's program and got that when I was 39. Wow. So yeah. I haven't done therapy the whole time, but I've done a lot of sexual assault and domestic violence crisis work. Mm-hmm. And then once I was in my internships in grad school, I was able to have therapy practice opportunities and, and did that after graduation as well. Now, cur- currently in your practice, like what is your <clears throat> focus or your niche or emphasis? That's a good question. <laughs> my niche, I would say um, I'm really passionate about helping people connect with the truest part of themselves so that they can have authentic relationships with other people in their lives. And I find that a lot of my clients have childhood experiences, um, unresolved hurts that are standing in the way of them being able to connect closely with the people that they want to have deep, meaningful relationships with. So, um, I guess you could say that's my niche. So I haven't when, developed my, my elevator speech for that yet too well. <laughs> no, that's okay. But I, I asked because, you know, I know a little bit about you in that you've done social work and working in these crisis situations to switching over to private practice. How has, like, how has that evolved for you, though? And, like, because it's very different. It's different environments you were working in and now to be in private practice. How has kind of, like that shaped your focus today. Um, all those experiences working in the crisis center, working for, you know, government programs and things like that. Well, I would say I still have a significant portion of my client population in my practice who are self-identified. They come to me because they have childhood abuse, either physical or sexual abuse that is, has become a crisis for them where they were going along fine, but suddenly they're having flashbacks at work or their relationships falling apart because they can't trust. So, um, that's when they come in, they're not in the same kind of crisis as someone who has just been through a traumatic experience, but they're having crisis in terms of their trauma symptoms. So, um, that, crisis intervention experience has been invaluable in helping people understand, you know, the way you feel is just related to these things that happened to you in the past. And, you know, maybe now you're ready to start working on how that affected you get, you know, resolve that trauma. And then you can go back to your life feeling better than you felt before you started. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Cause if you think of, I mean, there's so much commonality in your experience. It's just a different part of the the lifespan that you're working on with them. Whereas before it's in that immediate moment, something traumatic had just happened and you're just helping shore them up during that crisis. And now you're working with people that have had those things happen, but maybe they're functional in their life and, but there are just some things that are getting interrupted. And so what I I love finding that out about people of how we kind of transform our our interest and our specialty is just kind of based upon all these life experiences, you know, to think you were working in legal field and then to go into crisis and then now to work in this kind of 
other aspect of trauma. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, thanks. And, um, you know, everything that I've done before factors into what I do now. It's all um, helpful in, you know, the legal experience that I yeah. had, just helping me understand how systems work and um, understanding how someone feels during a crisis. But at the time when someone's in a crisis, they're not necessarily having a lot of insight into how this is going to affect them long term. Sure. Sure. So. That's what is really satisfying about helping the person when it has affected them long term to understand, you know, how it connects. And it's like people are just like, I didn't think that it would be, you know, this soon that I would feel so much different. I just thought this is the way I was always going to feel. And to me, that is so exciting and satisfying to hear when people, you know, basically transition from there must be something wrong with me to you know, there's nothing wrong with me. I just have had these experiences and I didn't know how to integrate them into my life. And now I'm ready to flourish and, you know, blossom. And I love it. That's beautiful. (laughs) Did you always think you'd do private practice? No, I didn't. I really would say that I, you know, I first started learning in nonprofits and I, uh, everywhere I worked was either a nonprofit or the last job before I went full time with my practice was a government position. So, you know, that was, that's sort of like nonprofit, um, better funded nonprofit, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it wasn't really a paradigm that I learned in school and it just wasn't really on my radar. And at certain points I thought, well, it's not right to, um, you know, work with, people who have the means to pay, you know, their problems aren't as serious as people who don't have the means to pay, but everyone's problems are equally, you know? Yeah. Um, So that, that's something that I had to come to terms with. And I think that has to do a lot with just, you know, experiencing working with people who live in such extreme conditions and, and how unjust that is. And you, you know, you feel like, responsible for, you know, standing up for those people. And and I did a lot of that kind of work and I loved it. But, um, for my practice, you know, the business model that really works for me is doing more, um, you know, private practice that I am the one who's in charge of, you know, what I do. And, um, it gives me all the freedom to, do things like this and <laughs> yeah, and schedule my life the way I want it to be that I can really feel like I have a balance, a real balance. Uh-huh. What was that? You know, when that period between deciding, okay, I'm going to try private practice. And then those first few months of like <laughs> getting started, what was that like for you? When I first started or yeah. when I went Just from like, I'm going to start my private practice. You're working at this other job, you know, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you're just getting started. What was that experience like for you to start? Well, I felt very excited. I was very positive and I was like, I can't believe I have the good fortune to be able to do this now. You know, I wasn't really expecting it, but because of the way the other job was, it just lined up perfectly. But, um, it 
was, it was easy to start it. I mean, the costs that were involved were pretty minimal. I mean, I sublet a space. I was paying, I think it was $175 a month for one and a half days uh-huh. per week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt like that's a reasonable output. I mean, it seemed pretty inexpensive yeah. to me. And I was like, you know, if you think about the number of clients you can see in that time, it really pays off. Yeah. So, you know, and I just... I purchased a, an inexpensive laptop and just very minimal costs at startup because your business is like you have said, you know, you are your tool. Uh-huh. You're the thing that you need to have to do the practice. Yeah. You don't have to buy a lot of, a, buy a lot to get started. I think that that's kind yeah. of what's unique about um, our kind of business is that uh, really, like, to get started does not take a lot. I know my accountant every year is like, I can't believe how low your expenses are. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I have low operating costs compared to a lot of business owners, and so we're fortunate in that way. doesn't right. mean we shouldn't be investing, though, I think, you know, in some aspects. Right. Yeah. Did you I come- think that's the thing that makes you feel like, Oh, you know, I shouldn't have to put out much money, but I now know that the more you invest in it, the more you'll get back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's an important lesson for people that are listening right now to hear that from you is like the value of investing in your business so that it grows, you know, what kinds of struggles did you come up against when you first started, even in the midst of your enthusiasm? Well, um, you know, finding clients because, um, I was not paneled with insurance. So I, you know, I had to find people who, um, could afford to pay out of pocket. And at the same time, you know, I wondered, will they want to come to me? You know, I don't have a name in the community for private practice. A lot of other therapists know me from my work in sexual assault crisis centers and domestic violence, different committees and stuff like that. But um, you know, again, that's all nonprofit and mm-hmm. it's different to refer someone to a private pay, um, practitioner. So, um, I started out with one client. I actually got one client in my first month and I was very happy to work with that one. And I felt, you know, like great about it. Um, and then my other job got really busy and during the summer I didn't see anybody after that one finished and then um, started picking up again in like September, October and it was just really slowly building. So I didn't really know how to market. I didn't know, you know, I wasn't sure if it was a good idea to try to do it without getting on insurance panels. Mm-hmm. So at, I think in the summer I kind of got fearful that I wouldn't, that people wouldn't know about me. Uh-huh. And I um, applied for one insurance panel, and they said they didn't need any new people in my area. But then they kind of said, we'll be checking again at such and such time. And so I checked back with them, and I ended up getting on the panel. Mm-hmm. But it didn't start till January. So I went from May to December with just doing private pay. Then in January, started accepting insurance and private pay. What did you think about that whole aspect? So I think that that's a common experience amongst people, sort of like, I don't know what I'm doing to get clients. Um, I'll get on some panels. Mm-hmm. That's what everyone tells you. Yeah. Like, you, well, you have to get on all the panels. 
And I didn't want to be on all of them because I was going to be doing everything myself. So I was like, that sounds really kind of overwhelming in terms of different paperwork and different requirements. And uh-huh. So what has been your experience being on insurance panel? So I was on that one. And um, once I got on it and I used um, an electronic health record that had um, billing through another company. Um, so I, you know, all I had to do was submit it and they took care of the rest. It was very easy to manage all of that. They, they were one insurance company that didn't restrict me. You know, they never said this person can only have so many sessions or what's your clinical plan with this or anything. Uh But, um, at some point I started to notice that, um, it, the business was building, but I was having to do more for less kind of thing uh-huh. uh, in terms of how well insurance pays versus paying out of pocket. So it was hard to see how I was going to reach my business's goals and have a salary um, if I just accepted insurance right. or if I accepted insurance at all. So right. I decided to stop accepting it. I mean, if you think about it, you could consider like what the insurance takes out of your fee as part of you're paying them to do your marketing in a sense, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a pretty expensive marketing cost when you can do a lot of marketing on your own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No doubt about it. So what has it been like to get off? Did your, uh, all your clients leave and run away? (laughs) That's the big fear. I think when people get off panels that they're going to lose all their clients. What has it been like for you? Yeah, I did feel fearful about that. And I had, um, you know, very sincere conversations with my clients and, um, some of them, there was, you know, they needed someone who accepted their insurance. So I helped them find a referral, um, that fit. And then some said, you know, well, I will stay, but I'll, um, I'll maybe need to come a little bit less frequently, come every other week instead of every week. And then some said, you know, I'm getting so much value out of this. It's certainly worth it to pay out of pocket. And that's what I want to do. How do you feel about getting off them now that you're in that? I'm it's, I have a couple more weeks. It starts March 1st, Ah. but, um, it's, it's really pretty liberating. And I have to say too, just, you know, the insurance company, even when I said I wanted to end the contract, they were totally accommodating. They were like, okay, you know, just no problem. And just give us 90 days notice and give your clients 90 days notice. So I did that. And, um, it was, it's been pretty much unbelievably seamless. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm really, you know, I'm grateful that I had the experience of taking the insurance and meeting so many wonderful clients that way. Uh-huh. And then also grateful that I'm able to, now that it's built up more, um, take a leap of faith that people will come even if I don't accept their insurance. They can still use their out-of-network benefits if they want to. And that's what most of my other clients do anyway. It's just they pay out of pocket and then they use their out-of-network benefits to get some reimbursement. Yeah. So when did you make the decision to quit the other job? and just do private practice? When did that happen for you? Well, um, it was really funny. I mean, and it was probably partly because of getting on that panel that I started getting more clients in January. So I had had just 
you know, I had my best month ever that December of 2013. And then in January when I started accepting insurance and getting just, I don't know, maybe it was just because it was January. I started getting new clients and, um, I more than doubled what I made in December. And I was like, wow, yeah, this is really coming together. And then in February, I made like another thousand more than that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, look at this. And then I was like, wonder what'll happen in March. Every month it was going up and up and up. And I was like, well, heck, I mean, things are, my, my time is filling and I need to, um, cut my hours back a little bit more at my other job and add another day. And, um, as I was doing that, I was just like, this is what I love so much. I loved that job, but this was just like something where I could be creative and be, you know, it's not someone else saying this is how we do it. It's me saying this is how I do it. And I just, I, I had this moment where I said that the only way I'm going to be able to make this be what I really want it to be is if I can give myself at my best. Mm-hmm. And to be at my best, I'm going to have to choose like one or the other. And, you know, the only one that can grow because the other job was part-time is the private practice. And the part-time other job just, it was going to stay the same. So I said, you know, I want to, I want to go ahead and do this. And so I talked to my supervisor, I think it was in May, it was right at the one year. And I told her like, things are going really well. And my practice, she was so supportive. Mm-hmm. And, um, she said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to cut my hours down a little bit. And she was like, that's fine. And and then once I did that and it was still just feeling like the more time I spent in my practice, the happier I was with it. Um, I said, um, I, I'm going to have to just do this full time. I'm, I'm, I think in January of 2015, I'll go ahead and go full time. Uh-huh. And, um, I started talking about it with my husband and I was like, you know, I think September 30th, actually. (laughs) He was like, really? Are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm I'm ready. And once I started talking to her about it again, I said, I feel like in September I need to um, go full time with my practice. And she was like, wow, I really respect your decision. And then this was in June. I I told her that and she said, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, at some point I need to know a date so I can hire someone I said, okay. I was like, August 21st. <laughs> it kept moving. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, the more, once I knew I was going to do it, I was like, why wait? I got to do this now. Yeah. I mean, it just, I was like, this feeling, I was like, I've got to do it. So I did it. Um, my last day there was August 21st, and I did the boot camp with you guys. Um, I think it was September mm-hmm. 2nd. So um, I just, I was like, oh, I'm not doing this alone. I'm going to have some help because now it's real. Like, make a break. Before it was extra. Now it's got to happen. So Right. Yeah. I think that that's sometimes the hardest part is when the practice is sort of like the icing on top. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got your other work that's like it feels consistent and safe or whatever. <laughs> and then to switch over to just the icing on top is like, ah. Uh, you know? Yeah. It was terrifying. I was really the anxiety I had in that time. It was like the first week I was like, oh, it's great. I'm going to yoga every morning. I'm going to make time for everything. And then the second week I was like, started the boot camp, which was really wonderful and intense and had me thinking about so many things. And then after the boot camp was finished, I was like, I must spend every day networking all day. Whenever I'm out with clients, (laughs) I've got to be busy. I was 
I mean, there were some weeks I literally had like 12 networking coffees and lunches and stuff. Did you pay attention to (laughs) (laughs) No, you did not say to do that. I was, I was being a little bit of a anxious overachiever. So, um, and I, it it was nice. I did that for about a month. I mean, I met a lot of great people, but it felt so frenetic. And I was like, okay, you can't keep this up. You're going to like have a heart attack. So where are you at now with like your networking and your pace of life and into, you know, the balance? How is that going? Well, something happened, I guess it's a January thing, but in January I was like, you know what? I'm not putting myself first. I'm, I'm really putting work above everything Uh and I'm not taking care of my health. I'm not exercising. I'm not, you know, I was being a super worker and I was being a super parent and wife, but not being a super person. Yeah. Super Laura. Yeah. So, um, I said, you know, this, your business is you. And if you don't take care of yourself, you can't help other people. And, you know, I mean, we all know this, but it's like, you know it, but you don't always feel it emotionally. Uh So I said, this is it. I'm, I'm not going to put all this energy into so many networking things and so many, I'm just going to take, if I feel tired, I'm going to sleep. If I feel, you know, I'm not going to over schedule myself. I'll manage the number of clients that I'm able to see and do well with without, you know, sending myself into a frenzy of, you know, getting towards burnout. And so now I'm actually practicing that and I'm incorporating, you know, meditation regularly and yoga and, Um, I also do like strength workouts at the gym and, you know, typical cardio workouts and, um, just if it's a nice day, I go for a walk and, you know, just what feels right instead of feeling like, um, you know, I I do the daring way work and the Brene Brown, um, quote that she uses is she says, you don't have to hustle for worthiness. And, you know, I think that's what I was doing. Just like, if I go, 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 then I'll be good enough, you know? And instead I'm saying, you know, if I take care of myself, I'll be good enough. You know? Yeah. I mean, I am good enough, so I need to take care of myself, and it feels much better. So I actually scheduled today to be no, no clients, just I had all my clients earlier in the week, and I made time for this, and... You know, then when my daughter was sick at school, I was able to go pick her up and, you know, um, a client ended up needing, uh, an appointment later today for a crisis situation. I was able to say, sure, I'll see you for that one session today. And it's like my time is my own and it feels so good. Mm. And so how is that fear? Is it, you feel kind of more, not totally, maybe it's totally gone. Where, where are you at with the fear? I'd say it's at least 90% gone because I'm, I'm believing that, um, you know, if I do the things I need to do to grow my business, it will happen. And I'm able to kind of ride out the uncertainty and just, I've seen that every month, even though some months I'm like, Oh, will there be enough money? Will there be enough to pay all my bills? And then there always is at least enough to pay my bills, you know? Not always a whole lot extra, but then some other months there might be a little more extra. And so 
you know, I'm kind of trusting that it's going to happen the way it needs to happen instead of trying to force it uh-huh. as if I don't think it's going to happen naturally. Right. You know? Yes, I know what you mean. So in terms of what kinds of tools have really helped you um, manage the business and work on your business, what kinds of tools can you give people listening to um, that have helped you? Well, um, you know, there's a variety of things. I mean, the the first thing that made me believe that I could do a private practice was a Facebook group that uh-huh. I, I found that was for private practice. And, um, you know, I heard other people talking about their, you know, experiences and pitfalls. And that group is where I found out about you and Miranda and signed up for your boot camp, which gave me tons of valuable, I mean, unbelievably comprehensive number of tips and tools that I never would have thought of or known that I needed. Um, so I think it's funny because I, when I talk to other people who aren't in private practice now and I come across like, oh, all you have to do is this and this, and they're like, how do you like know this? But, you know, that's where I realized that I've invested in getting the help to help me with what I didn't know. Uh-huh. And so I can do what I do know well, uh-huh. you know, which is the practice part, yeah. um, not the business part. Uh-huh. And, um, um, I mean, using, like, Quicken and, mm-hmm. you know, just, I mean, that's kind of a, a small thing. I have a CPA who helps me uh-huh. and, and helps me stay organized with what I need to keep track of and how to think about expenses and stuff. In fact, um, like the first year I didn't make really hardly anything. And he was like, you didn't really make enough to benefit from some of the, the, um, you know, deductions that being a self-employed person can provide. But, um, you know, he helped me understand. In other words, instead of being like, don't spend, don't spend. The more I make and the more I spend, the better it'll benefit me in terms of how much I actually get to keep of the money that <laughs> the business makes. So that's kind of counterintuitive. You know, you think, oh, if I save, 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 don't spend, don't spend, um, I'll have more for me. But it's not always that way because you might end up paying a whole much more taxes. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think that kind of stuff I wouldn't have known. Well, yeah, I mean – that's the aspect, right? Like planning this conference, right? With Joe and Julie and Miranda. I'm like, I didn't go to school for event planning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I didn't it's know I'd be planning an event, which it's fun, but there's also aspects where I have to ask for help. And just like owning a business, like I, I didn't take many finance classes. I don't know if you did. I think I had one in college Zero. and I tried to avoid going to class. I think cause I hated yeah. it so much. So having people that are great at what they do to support your business mm-hmm. kind of frees you up, you know. My accountant's saying, like, did you know you could write this off? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, then start doing that. And, you know, um, you, you can't be expected to know all of it, you know. You end right. up becoming, especially when we're the sole owners of a practice, the web designer, the social media yeah. guru. The <laughs> There's lots of hats we wear, and it's good it's whenever true. you can to get help. Yeah. You know, another thing that's been extremely helpful for me in the boot camp and also just with some of the other online groups, 
um, is the sense of community and the support, but also seeing other people who are just people like me who have really are doing like creative, exciting things like, you know, I won't name these, but some of the people in our group are doing things where I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And then, you know, they're in California. So they give me an idea and I'm like, I could do that in this way, you know, or something similar to that. And I never would have thought that people can do stuff like that. Uh Um, until you see, like, I mean, one of the people, you probably will know who I'm talking about when I say this, but she wasn't even fully licensed. You know, she didn't have her independent license yet at the time when she started the boot camp. And she's like a superstar with what she's doing. Now she is independently licensed. So it just gives her more yeah. flexibility in what she can do. But I mean, you know, if you think like, oh, well, I'm not experienced enough or I'm not good enough. If you know what you're doing, you can make it be something wonderful. And then people are going to be so grateful because you are offering something special that's, you know, they're like, Oh, this is like something I really need. And I'm so glad it's available. Yeah. I think you speak also to that great idea of like community and to surround Mm -hmm. yourself with people that are like-minded and successful. It encourages you and it enlivens your own creativity Versus when you're around people, like you can find therapists in private practice that are naysayers about the whole thing, or you can yeah. find people that are enthusiastic. They're vulnerable. It's not that it's it's all uh, easy. Easy, right? No, but but they're they're they love it and they're passionate just like you, and it just kind of buoys you through the journey of of building your business. It does. The only problem is sometimes there's so much excitement and creativity that I'm like trying to jot all my ideas down, like thinking about it when I'm trying to go to sleep. It's like, okay, time for rest. You can think about that later. But I mean, it really gets you, you know, it's probably the most um, electrified I've been since being in grad school Beautiful. about just what all the possibilities are. Yeah. It's it's unlimited what you can do and what you can offer if, if there's a need for it. So what advice would you give to someone who is, they want to do private practice, but they have a job right now. What kind of steps would you recommend them to take first before they even open up the business? Well, I think that they would have to do some examination about why they want to and what they're hoping to achieve with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, what their strengths are and what they can bring. Because I think when you say, like, um, I'm, I'll just, you know, do everything. I'll offer anything. Whoever comes to me um, can, you know, I'll accept them as a client and assume that we're going to work together and it's going to be great. When really you have certain strengths that you bring where working with certain groups is your specialty and working with other groups is something you could do, but it's not like, how you do your best work. Uh-huh. Um, so thinking about that and really, you know, being intentional about how you want your practice to be, if you're going to do this. And, um, I did read, I didn't mention it before, but I did read a couple books too, um, on building a practice and some of the books that are out there really help you understand like what's really involved in it. I mean, it, you have to be committed to it. Can you share what those books are? So people sure. Know? I read um, Lynn Grodsky's uh-huh. uh, 12 Months to Your Ideal Private Practice. Uh-huh. And um, also Casey Truffo's Be a Wealthy Therapist. Uh-huh. Um, 
And then there are, you know, I mean, you know the infinite number of resources that there are. I do. <laughs> the, uh, the blogs, the yeah. um, podcasts, and uh-huh. so many things. So I think once you start participating in those types of things and hearing what other people have to say, you understand that it's something that you can do when you feel it's right for you, when you're ready. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Great. And where do you see your practice going next? Well, I, um, I'm blogging more. Uh-huh. I'm uh, focusing a lot on um, integrative mental health. And so, you know, bringing in holistic practices to my work, whether it's doing meditation or mindfulness with uh, clients in session or letting them know about resources that could possibly complement talk therapy like acupuncture, uh, craniosacral therapy, um, Reiki. I mean, the more I begin to research this for my blog series, the more I find that there are I mean, you live in California, so you already know this, but there's an infinite number of things that people can add that um, really complement talk therapy and I think address the whole mind, body, spirit. Um, so I was coming from somewhat of a medical model because my um, outpatient therapy experience had all been in an outpatient clinic with a psychiatrist and therapist. And so you know, you have kind of this box that you think what therapy has to be, but I'm realizing that addressing all of those aspects is really um, much more beneficial to clients. And, you, you know, you open up things that wouldn't get opened if you just stay in that box. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> and you're doing Daring Way stuff too, right? Yes. I'm, I'm not fully certified yet. I'm still in the consultation process. I'm almost there. So... Um, but I'm doing it with my clients and in individual work and I'm going to start some groups and have, so one thing I'll do this year is I'm going to have a women's group starts in April. Uh-huh. going to have a, possibly have a teen girls group if there's enough interest to start, might start in April to, um, do one intensive in the summer and possibly one in the fall and, um, going to start a podcast too. So that's, <gasps> that's my big challenge because oh, I've been. Fun hearing from you guys how good podcasting is. And, you know, it's like, well, what would I talk about? And the more, of course, I think about it, the more I have many ideas of things I would talk about. And I've already lined up some interviews with some of our wonderful boot camp people. <laughs> it's a resource of, info, of oh, uh, people, isn't it? Yeah, really is. Good. And, there, and it's friendship. I mean, even though we don't see each other in person, being you guys, a lot of you in California and me in Maryland, but... Um, you know, I know you, you know me, Yeah, I know them, they know me, some more than others, some are more, you know, verbal than others are more like, you know, kind of watch and don't always interact as much, which I totally respect. Sometimes I do that too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing your story and your heart. And there's, um, you know, so much that I think that people will identify in what you've shared, you know, from the fears to the enthusiasm to trying to figure out the balance and, and really kind of discovering how your own personal journey and story leads you into your path of business, you know, your focus. And I think it's going to be really helpful for people listening. So thank you so much, Laura. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. I'll post your website 
in the notes, but do you want to share what it is? And- sure. It's www.lauraregan, and that's R-E-A-G-A-N-L-C-S-W-C.com. <laughs> Poor Laura. She's had to fix me on the <laughs> licensure name like 10 times today. So, yeah, thank you for that. All right, you guys. We'd love for you to share what you learned, um, any kind of thoughts that you have about Laura's story and uh, other resources that you have used in building your practice. We want to lift each other up and really encourage each other in this journey. So um, share below in the comments, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>